This episode of Market Foolery is brought to you by Thumbtack. Thumbtack.com matches you with the right local professionals for any project. Go to Thumbtack.com to find pros for everything from home improvement to event planning to personal wellness and more. That's Thumbtack.com. It's Monday, June 19th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Monday. Happy Father's Day, day after. Day after. Yeah. Good weekend. We'll get into the we'll get into the Father's Day. Why not? We'll we'll we'll, we'll chat a little bit about we're that. Dads. We're, da- we're dads. We're dads. Uh, we got to start though with where we were on Friday, in the wake of the Amazon buying Whole Foods story. Just in case you missed it. Just in case you didn't catch <laughs> Motley Fool money. Amazon bought Whole Foods for the cool sum of thirteen point seven billion dollars. And if you haven't. We're not going to go over every part of the deal because we did that on Motley Fool Money. But if you haven't listened to it, I highly recommend that you listen to the opening. We dedicated the entire opening segment of the radio show to this deal. It's about 12 minutes. It's a really, I think, good conversation covering a lot of aspects of the deal. And by the way, for a few of you out there um, uh, who may not be aware, we have this other show we do called Motley Fool Money. We we got some emails and tweets on Friday morning saying, "Are you going to do an emergency episode of Market Foolery on Friday?" No, we're not, but we are going to do Motley Fool Money. That's why we that's why we don't do Market Foolery on that's Friday because right. we're doing Motley Fool Money. So you can check that out. But the, but there are we could have done we could have done thirty minutes on every aspect of that. No, we could have done three hours. I think we could have had the whole day. <laughs> And probably still not touched on everything. Well, one thing that we didn't really delve into is something that we got some questions about after the fact from listeners who said, hey, I, I listened to what you guys said on Motley Fool Money, and I still have a couple of questions. And a lot of them have to do with shares of Whole Foods itself. Essentially, shareholders saying, okay, this has happened. I'm a Whole Foods shareholder. Walk me through what happens now. Do I get shares of Amazon? Do I get, you know, what happens? And the first answer there is no, you don't get shares of Amazon. Amazon is paying cash. Mm-hmm. And so, and the buyout price is $42 per share. So, in theory, if you're a shareholder, you're going to get for every share you have, you're going to get $42 in your account. Although, right before we came in the studio, I Went to Google Finance and typed in Whole Foods ticker symbol and noticed <laughs> it's trading over forty three dollars a share. So my first question for you, Jason, is what the hell? <laughs> Why? You you just how eloquently framed. I mean, that's just exactly <laughs> that's, it. That's probably what everybody's thinking. If if the deal is for forty two dollars a share and shares are trading now at forty three and change, what in the world's going on? Um, I mean, in short, this is just the market. Guesstimating at the possibility of a a competing bid, just because Amazon has made an offer to buy Whole Foods and they've struck up this deal, it doesn't mean that another company couldn't come in and say, "Hey, we really like Whole Foods, and you know what? We're going to offer forty five dollars per share or forty seven dollars per share." I mean, there is certainly the possibility of a competing bid there, and that's kind of what the market is playing around with today—some sort of arbitrage in that in that regard. So. You know, when we go to, I mean, there there are so many things to unpack with a deal like this because there's so many factors at play. Say Amazon's paying cash, and they are paying cash. They're using some of the cash from their balance sheet. They're going to issue some debt to raise some more cash because the cost of financing is is so cheap. But regardless, at the end of the day, if you're a Whole Foods shareholder and this deal goes through, you'll get forty two dollars per share in cash for every share of Whole Foods that you have. 
unless another offer comes in from a separate from a different company. And there is the possibility of that. Now, I I tend to think that probably won't happen in this case. And there are a few reasons why. I think I think that John Mackey is probably pretty excited to be able to run this business without the scrutiny of being a public company and and without having to answer to the the greedy bastards as he as he put it recently, <laughs> put, right? I mean, that as he was put yes in an interview he did I think with Texas Monthly Magazine. Yeah. That it, was published last week. They were talking to him about Jana Capital and the interest they had taken and trying to sort of push his buttons and get them to do something to create more value. And and I think he was spot on there. They weren't really trying to Unlock all of this value and make Whole Foods a better company. I mean, Janet's just trying to make money. That's their that's the point. That's that's their mandate, and that's what they do. And you can't blame them for that. But um, I think that when you look at look at it on the surface, I think that Mackey is going to be happy to be a part of the, of the Amazon family here. I think that he and Jeff Bezos have uh, some things in common, and I think that when you look at the deal, and and I th- this is really pretty amazing. Actually, think about it. this forty two dollars share price offer implies. That the stock is trading for about 32 times full year estimates, Whole Foods shares, which we've talked a lot about that premium multiple that Whole Foods shares have garnered through the years. And we saw that premium sort of disappearing over time. And it was disappearing because people were focused less on really the experience and it was more about cost, right? They were having to compete on prices and that was not really what Whole Foods was known for. And it was starting to hurt them on the profitability side. So, this is all to say that forty-two dollars per share is a pretty damn good offer, and I would really actually be surprised to see someone come in there and counter that, because I don't think anybody out there, in in their heart of hearts, thinks that they can do as much with Whole Foods as Jeff Bezos could do. I think that any other CEO out there who thinks, "Oh, I bet you I can do more with this company than Bezos," they're either just delusional or lying to themselves. And I don't think anybody really wants to get into a competing, a bidding war with with Bezos on this because if Bezos wants it, he's going to get it. And and so all in all, that's what the market's doing today is kind of weighing the the possibility of that. It absolutely could happen. I don't think it will, but hey. You know, I mean, there's a, we saw the Marriott thing play out with Starwood, Starwood, for example, right? Where where Marriott made that bid, that offer was accepted. Then uh, Anbang comes in and makes this counter offer for a little bit, a little bit of a higher uh, uh, offer there, and, and then you know, ultimately Marriott ended up getting the deal, but they had to pay a little bit more for it. So, who knows? But I, I I'd be surprised to see that happen. Uh, Mackie is on our board of directors here at the Fool. Uh, presumably, um, there's every expectation that he's staying on. That was that was part of the announcement. And um, as you said, he, I, I haven't seen him give an interview yet. But my expectation is, at some point, we'll see him on TV, and I expect him to be every bit as giddy <laughs> as Ron Shake was uh, when Panera went private. Just the the fact that John will now get to focus on the business of Whole Foods rather than dealing with. As Ron Shake said, forty percent of his time was dealing with public market stuff, and so Mackey won't have to do that now. In terms of what it, and this is a little in the weeds, uh, but but I think important not just for people who are Whole Foods shareholders, but any anyone who is a shareholder of a company that gets bought out. When you think of the mechanics of selling, this is a question we've gotten from a couple of people. Well, what do I have to do? Well, I'll just use myself as an example because I am a shareholder of of Whole Foods. 
I'm uh, the fact that it's at 43 right now is is interesting to me. But like you, I think this is just going to go through. I don't think there's going to be a competing bid, and I think at some point in the second half of 2017, this deal will get finalized, and then uh, the the transaction will go through. And if you're like me and you're not going to do anything, you're just going to sit there and then. Your shares are going to be converted into cash. Uh, however, that doesn't necessarily mean there won't be a cost for shareholders. Yep, there's always you got to kind of weigh the offer versus the time uh, involved with just letting this deal go through. There's always the possibility that the deal doesn't go through at the last minute for whatever reason. Um, it, assuming that it does go through. Yes, you can just sit there and do nothing, and at some point, your shares will be converted to cash. Now, brokerages are very sneaky about this, and it's worth at least paying attention to, because this isn't universal, and I don't think every brokerage automatically does this, but there are a lot of brokerages out there that, when it comes to acquisitions like this, if you just sit there and let this thing go through without taking any action, brokers will sneak a little separate maintenance charge in through through there and 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 you'll pay a little bit more on that transaction cost. So, if you went in and you sold your shares of Whole Foods now and say your broker charges you 7.95 or whatever for that commission, some brokers will go in there and charge an additional 25, 30, even $50 in some cases and they just call it that separate maintenance fee and and they justify it however they justify it, because it's a unique situation where there's an acquisition and a closing of the books and whatever, they figure out a way to justify it. There's nothing you can do. So, you can either wait and just let that happen. Um, if you don't know if your broker charges that kind of a, uh, a fee, you can call them and ask them. Um, if you want to go ahead and say, you know what, I, I think I'm going to go ahead and just take my gains or just cut my losses here, $42, $43, it's usually not worth quibbling uh, over a dollar, you can go ahead and sell now and get that cash and then reinvest it however you want to reinvest it. And, and there are going to be tax implications to consider whether you made money on the investment or lost money on the investment. But, but if you just sold now, you would be just paying that standard uh, transaction fee that your brokerage normally pays you. So, Keep those things in mind um, as you as you watch this play out, and, and I think it's always worth. It's just not usually. It's not worth quibbling over a dollar. I just typically don't think it's really worth quibbling. And if you feel like you have an idea out there that you'd like to go ahead and, and plunk money into, I mean, I mean, you're looking at a potential opportunity there. Now I think I need to check with <laughs> with my broker to see what what is the cost because I was just thinking, well, I won't do this, and I'll just in part because I'm lazy. But you know what? If it's if it's fifty bucks, if it's seventy five bucks, as opposed to executing a trade is just I think nine dollars with my broker. Like, hey, you know, that's real money. Yeah, and it's 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 the point of the matter. Yes, it's it, it's nothing. Actually, different is going on. It's just a transaction is happening, happening, and they're figuring out a way, like buying a home. It's ticket. You go through that HUD statement, and everybody's got their hand in that cookie jar, Chris. It's Ticketmaster. <laughs> Everyone's trying to be Ticketmaster. I just want to tack on a little handling fee. What Hell are you handling? Yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> you know who I feel a little bit bad for, and I don't know who this person is, but whoever was the public relations person uh, or people at Walmart. And bonobos, because going into Friday morning, in case you missed it, and you probably did, there was another pretty big announcement, I would argue, and that is Walmart is buying bonobos, the uh, men's fashion apparel brand, for $310 million. And I think if you're the PR people involved in that announcement, you're pretty excited about that, because if Amazon 
Whole Foods, if that deal doesn't happen Friday morning, that becomes a much bigger story. I'm not saying it's as big and it doesn't have as many ripple effects, but I think I, I look at that deal and I think, good for Walmart. That's a smart use of their money. That's a good brand. They have a loyal following, at least you know the the younger guys around the office who I talk to who shop there. They really like that clothing, and so I look at that as a pretty smart brand. And it's one more step in the direction of e-commerce. It's not as big. It's literally one tenth the size of the deal that Walmart made. I guess it was a year ago for Jet.com. That's a smart deal, though. That's a that's a good deal for Walmart, but it just it just so pales in comparison to Amazon buying Whole Foods. Yeah, it's like that Charlie Brown Halloween special where he walks away getting a rock every time, you know, and is like, "Oh wow, look at I, I got I got Whole Foods. What did you get? Oh, I got a rock. I got I got. I mean, I, I don't know I don't know much about Bonobos at all. I've never done any shopping there, and it very well could turn out to be a good deal for Walmart. Um, Fashion is a bit fleeting, so I'd be a little bit concerned on that side. And the question that I have is that if you are a Bonobos loyalist and you now know that Walmart owns Bonobos, does that change your view of that brand? Is that something that potentially hinders the brand going forward? I don't know, but I do know that fashion. There can be a lot of psychological forces at play, and a lot of sort of groupthink that goes goes into it when it comes to fashion. And and, and what's in today can be out tomorrow. With that said, I, I do agree with you. I think that Walmart is is smart to to figure out ways to to grow their online presence in, in any way that they really can, as long as as long as they're they're buying proven brands with some sort of pathway to helping the business grow its e-commerce segment. I mean, the biggest problem for Walmart is that they were asleep at the wheel for so long. I mean, just watching Amazon just make investment after investment after investment. And yes, digital is becoming more of Walmart's bottom line. It's just it's going to take so long, acquisitions notwithstanding. It's just going to it's really difficult to catch up because Amazon has made so many investments they are light years ahead of everyone just in 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 gaining that credibility the e-commerce credibility the customer loyalty i mean obviously prime has been a tremendous driver so walmart can definitely succeed it's just it's a real tough game of catch up and you know they're going to have to make acquisitions like this to remain relevant got to give them credit though for trying i mean this Absolutely. is, this is yeah, no this, question this is one of those where i just think good for them because there are plenty of times where we Look at companies, particularly in earnings season, and it's such and such company reports earnings. Here's what they did on the top line. Here's what they did on the bottom line. Oh, and by the way, they increased their dividend by X percent. And a lot of times, we, you know, our takeaway is, well, I suppose they don't have anything else they can do with that. But they don't have any better ideas. And at least in the case of Walmart, they they found a better use for that 310 million. Sure. And I mean, think about the fact that I mean, Walmart and Kroger together. Are the number one and two grocers by market share in the United States? I mean, Walmart is not just you know bonobos and selling a bunch of crap that you don't need. I mean, they're that's a big grocery presence, right? And and so I mean, they're. I think we talk a lot about how much everybody just thinks. All right, well, this is just going to kill all of these different stores, and everybody's there. They're now toast. I think that's a bit of a knee-jerk reaction in some cases. I was just going to say, can we go back to Kroger for one yeah, second? Yeah, let's just do. Be, just because we saw the hit that they took on Thursday, they lowered their full-year fiscal guidance. The stock went down 19, percent and then 
This deal happens Friday morning, and Kroger's down another 11% mm-hmm. on top of that. And at some point, you tell me, how cheap is this stock right now? Because at some point, if you get enough people selling off Kroger, then it just becomes this stock that is insanely cheap and priced for not just their price for no growth, they're priced for they're going out of business next year. Yeah. And it's like, that's crazy talk. Yeah, that is crazy talk, and it's not going to happen. And I'm going on record today, right now, as telling you that I think that Kroger from today, you look at that as an investment today that you're going to hold over the course of the next year, two years, three years. I think today is going to prove to be a a uh, an attractive entry point for the stock. I don't think this is a value trap. I think this is actually a value thesis that could be made here. Um, you can't forget the fact that that Kroger has close to three thousand stores. They own Harris Teeter and a number of other brands. They sell fuel. I mean, they have a big physical presence out there. And and yes, Walmart or uh, Amazon bought Whole Foods, and that's going to change today. You know what they they bought Whole Foods for? Part of the reason why they bought Whole Foods because of that physical presence. Okay, they're going to maintain that physical presence. It's not like it's just going away. They're just going to leverage it and really do a lot of great things with it. Kroger is doing those same things. Maybe not to the extent that Amazon. Is or or can, but Kroger's certainly making a lot of investments in their digital presence. Um, and, and if we frame it just in, in the valuation of the stock, I mean, Kroger now is trading at around eleven times two thousand and seventeen estimates, and that's after that downward guidance they just revised revised in this most recent announcement. Now, eleven times versus Whole Foods acquisition at about thirty two times, and that is a tremendous disparity there, right? That the delta there is huge. And we have to ask: Is that reasonable? Does that make a lot of sense? I mean, I would say no. I think it's it's a bit excessive on on both ends of the spectrum. I mean, I think Whole Foods is getting a great deal, and I think Kroger is is feeling the brunt of some some pretty knee jerk reactions at this point. So I think there are definitely concepts out there that should be looking over their shoulder. Costco probably one that I think. Uh, is got got its work cut out for him. I think Kroger is going to be okay from this because, yeah, Amazon is going to do a lot of great things with Whole Foods and really sort of help evolve this this grocery space. But it's not going to change overnight. And there is a lot of value in there with Kroger's uh, physical footprint today and Walmart as well. Before we get to our next story, I got to say thanks to Thumbtack.com for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Thumbtack makes it easy to find and hire skilled local professionals for any project on your to-do list. No more sifting through millions of search results. Thumbtack will help you find the right professional that's available when you need them and within your budget. Also, they'll be reviewed and verified. You don't want someone sketchy working on whatever your project is. You want someone legit. Thumbtack has professionals offering more than 1,100 different services nationwide for your home, events, or anything in between. Maybe you're throwing a big party this summer. You've got backyard projects, pool cleaning, lawn mowing, tree trimming, any of that stuff. You just submit a request. It's quick, simple, and free. Just answer a few questions about what you're looking for. And within 24 hours of submitting your question, you're going to have up to five estimates from local pros that match your criteria. So just submit that request. And within 24 hours, you're going to have some choices. Also, download the app or go to thumbtack.com to find and hire local skilled professionals for just about anything you need. That's thumbtack.com. US Open wrapped up last night. 
and it was the second lowest ratings for the final round of that particular golf tournament. And if you are Fox Sports, I don't know what they paid for the rights <laughs> to the U.S. Open, but anytime it's second lowest ratings, that's Never not good. Been. And this this continues. This yeah. and by this I mean this narrative of live sports rights and what networks, whether it's ESPN or Fox or Turner or whoever, is shelling out for them. And in this case, it's a reminder that there's one Super Bowl in the United States of America. And that's it. And in terms of in terms of what's going to 99% guarantee you a big audience, you've got the Super Bowl. And after that, you're really dependent on, among other things, the participants in that event. And in the case of the U.S. Open, uh, Fox was hindered because some big names went out early. Yeah, I think they were hindered. I think there are a number of, of things that really were not working in their favor. And I mean, I, I come at this from the perspective of a, of a golf fan. I was obviously in the golf business for a number of years before. Um, and I've, I've played golf pretty much all my life. And with that said, I didn't watch any of the U.S. Open pretty much at all. Um, and, and it wasn't. Because and by the way, that's all anyone <laughs> yeah. needs to know. I, I yeah. Well, I mean, I, I feel like I, I I wasn't watching. I mean, and I'm I'm the kind of guy that man, I, I do want to see that stuff. I mean, I do enjoy it. Um, the USGA typically is known as the one. They're, they're the organization that puts on the one tournament a year in the U.S. Open. That just brutalizes professional golfers to the point of viewers laughing at them, like saying, ah, "I can do that too. I can shake it off into the water, whatever." You know what I mean? The USGA just consistently sets these golf courses up so hard, and it just is so difficult that these players go out there and just have a really difficult time. Why do they do that? Well, I mean, they they want to they want to identify the best player, and they feel like the way to do that at that level is to make the golf course extremely difficult. And there's something to that. Um, I mean, there's there's the argument of whether you hit difficult versus unfair, and that's for another time. But but you did you did key in on a couple of things there. In that number one, they didn't have. I mean, the top three players. In the world, missed the cut, so they weren't even playing on Saturday and Sunday. Um, I think there is the Tiger Woods effect here that a lot of people really tuned into golf over the past couple of decades, really because of all of the things that Tiger Woods was doing. And he's not a part of that equation anymore. And I don't think he's ever going to be a part of that equation again. I think he's more or less done. Um, and so now you've got this situation where I mean, golf is facing all of these headwinds. I mean, it's 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 a difficult game to learn how to play. Um, it's an expensive game. It's to an expensive out. game to play. It takes so much friggin' time, man. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Like if you're gonna sit there and watch it, like those guys, it takes them like five and a half hours to get around the golf course. Just no one has that because today we have more things competing for our attention than ever before, and we have more ways to watch, more ways to be entertained. And I would also argue that the internet and e-commerce and all of this stuff has given us a different way to sort of value our time. I think we value our time more so than we did. Uh, 10, even 20 years ago. So, you know, you look at all of those factors put together, and I don't think it's just golf. I mean, I think baseball is another good example of where it's a game that it attracts a certain niche audience, but man, it's a game that takes a long time to play. They have so many games throughout the course of the year. There's so many golf tournaments throughout the course of the year that they all just kind of start to bleed together. And, and, I don't know that there's anything that necessarily combats that. I mean, I think we're probably at a point where 
live sports takes a little bit of a turn for the worse. I think that we've probably hit a point where networks are only going to bid up the rights to this content so much. It's not it's not some tree that just keeps on growing to the sky. And I think there is sort of a, a ceiling there, and we may have hit it. Do you think that? I mean, you mentioned Tiger Woods, and one of the things that we've heard about television in general has to do with ratings. And let's put sports aside for just a moment. But when one thing, one example that gets held up from time to time is the Tonight Show, because the Tonight Show has been around almost as long as as television has been on, and. People have said things like, you know, Jimmy Fallon, as good a host as he is, he's never going to get the audience that Johnny Carson got 30 years ago because Johnny Carson was not just an iconic host, he was also the host of the show at a time where there were basically three networks and that was it. And so I'm wondering if that's going to be part of the next wave of negotiations. You look at live sports and most of the major. Sports have locked up television deals, really through to varying degrees. With these, with the exception of the Olympics, to varying degrees, they're locked up through the next, say, let's call it five to eight years. But it really does seem like once the next wave comes through, if I'm a, if I'm running a television network, I'm looking at just how disparate all the audiences are, and I'm saying, you know, no, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna pay up for this, or I'm gonna let this. Deal go to another network because I'm not going to pay this money. I think we're definitely at that point, and I think late night is a very good example of that. And in a little while back, um, it was a very good interview on Howard Stern with James Corden, who hosts the Late Late Show. I think right, like on something CBS. like twelve thirty in the morning or something like that. Probably best. I first knew about James Corden not because I stayed up to watch his show, but because of. Carpool karaoke, yeah, the, which he does on his show, but those clips would show up on YouTube, and exactly. that was when I was like, "Who is this guy?" And then it's like, "Oh, right, that's the guy who hosts the Late Late Show." And, and they were talking about this kind of stuff. I mean, the way that entertainment is being consumed today versus you know ten years ago, um, you don't have to stay up till twelve thirty to watch his show. Thank God, thank God, and and they know that, and so they, the show is the show, but they 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 write. And they produce based on knowing that they can distribute via YouTube and that people can consume that content whenever they want. So during that interview, I don't know that I really heard Corden referring to viewership ratings um, off uh, much at all. It, it, it was all about YouTube views and, and distribution via Facebook and Twitter and, and channels like that. And I think we're starting to see more and more of that because. I go back to saying I didn't watch any of the U.S. Open, and I guess I need to correct that a little bit. I did see some of it, but I caught stuff through my Twitter feed. And we were talking about this before taping. At any given point in time, in regard to any sporting event whatsoever, you have your your phone in your pocket. You can find out anything you want, and you can see video clips when you want. And so I think we're we're looking at sort of a different way people might be willing to consume sports. If I don't have to sit there and commit three and a half hours to watching the Red Sox play, and I can just catch five minutes of sort of a recap after the game, I think maybe that's a bit of a better use of my time, at least for me. And I think probably more and more people are starting to feel that way as time goes on. And again, it's not about what we grew up with and what we're used to. It's about how these younger generations are going to be viewing this stuff when they're our age. And I think that just seems to be sort of the direction where things are going. And so, 
That's why we look at YouTube and Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, and we think those aren't just social media channels. I mean, those are the media companies of the 21st century, and that's why you're seeing them place all of these bets in video and live video and events, because really, that's the way a lot of us are consuming that content now. Did I tell you about the professional basketball I watched when I was in Italy? This was about 10 years ago. So, I'm in Italy, I'm in my hotel room, I'm channel flipping, and I come across uh, an American NBA game. And essentially what had happened was, they took the game that had been played the day before. So, this is a, a 24-hour-old game, or you know, probably even less than that in terms of hours. But basically, they, this Italian sports network edited everything, every stoppage in play out. And they dubbed Italian announcers and play-by-play over the American announcers, which I greatly appreciated. <laughs> and so, I watched an NBA game in one hour. And it was so great and so enjoyable. I came back here and I was telling my friends, if my cable package offered that as an add-on for 20 bucks a month during the NBA season, I would pay it in a heartbeat. Absolutely. The ability to just watch an NBA game in an hour, I would do that in a heartbeat. To make you say, hey, now. Yeah. I, NFL Network does the same thing, right? They, they, uh, they do that with the football games. They cut out all the stoppages, commercials, all that stuff, and you can watch an entire NFL game. They whittle it down in like, uh, 45 minutes or something. Yeah. I mean, that's fascinating. And, and I mean, yeah, that's NFL Network and you're paying for that access. But man, they're they're getting a lot of good lessons from all of that stuff, and they're recognizing very quickly. I think that people are consuming content far more differently today than ever before, and and uh, a lot of experimentation out there. I think it's going to really, it's really going to play out, like you said, on how these companies bid on this sport sporting content going forward. They will not pay any price. It's one more thing to watch. That's right. Jason Moser, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So, don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Austin Morgan. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.